we go through this passage and study it and learn it, Lord. Help the applications to be able to be made, Lord. Help everything to be said in the right spirit. Help me, Lord, to be able to say the things that you would have me to say. In your precious name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, well we're there in Judges chapter number 8. And this is really the, the last chapter in the book of Judges dealing with Gideon. And if you remember, we've been learning about Gideon. And Gideon, in chapter number 7, just had the greatest victory of his life. I mean, if you, if you, you know, I don't know, I would probably say most people don't know about Gideon, just out on the street. But for the people who do know about Gideon, you know, you maybe you grew up in church, you know the story of Gideon. You ask somebody, what do you know about Gideon? They're going to tell you the story of the fact that Gideon took 300 men and won and battled against the, thank you brother, appreciate it. And won and battled against the Midianites. That's the most famous story that Gideon is known for there in Judges chapter number 7. And I want to teach you something out of Judges chapter number 8 in relation to Judges chapter number 7. You've got to remember this. Whenever you have a great victory... Now, you and I in our minds would think, whenever you have a great victory, then you would think that that would almost lead into another great victory. It would unite people to want to get together and fight even more battles. But you know, uh, as you read the Bible, and as you uh, get involved in ministry, you begin to realize something. Whenever you have a great victory, or you begin to have some success, usually what follows is not a great victory or another success, but usually what follows is a bunch of problems. And what Gideon began to see in chapter 8 was that when he had a great victory in chapter 7, there was certain things that accompany victory. There are certain things that accompany success. When you begin to start doing something for Christ, now whether it's a church that is reaching its community, whether it's you growing in your Christian life and maybe you are beginning to uh, uh, get victory over certain sins and certain things in your life, let me tell you something. When you start having victory and success in certain areas of life, there are certain things that are going to come along with it and you better know what they are so they don't catch you up on. And in Judges chapter number 8, we find four things that I believe come with victory, four things that come with success. I want to show them to you. Number one, when you are victorious, people will attempt to discourage you. People will attempt to discourage you. Look at Judges chapter number 8, look at verse 1. And the men of Ephraim, that's a tribe of Israel, said unto him, now notice what they said to Gideon. Notice what they said. Why hast thou served us thus? Here's what they're saying. Why are you treating us like this? Treating you like what? That thou callest us not. Now make note of this word. When. Did you see that word when there? They said that thou callest us not when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites. Now, hold on a second. The Ephraimites are complaining, look, keep reading there in verse 1, and they did chide with him sharply. The word chide means to speak disapprovingly. They are criticizing, they are complaining, they are disapproving of Gideon very sharply, and they're complaining. Now what's their complaint? Their complaint is this, you didn't call us to fight the Midianites. Now here's the funny thing, go to Judges chapter number 7. Look at verse number 24. And Gideon sent messengers throughout all Mount what? Ephraim. You see that? So is it true that Gideon did not call them? Gideon did call them. 
Bible says Gideon sent messengers throughout all Mount Ephraim saying, come down against the Midianites when, uh, and take before them the waters of Bethbara and Jordan. So Gideon called them. But see, you've got to understand this. They're not complaining that they didn't get called. They're complaining. Look at verse 1. And the men of Ephraim said unto him, Why hast thou served us thus, that thou didst not call us when thou wentest to fight? So here's what they're saying. They're saying, You didn't call us, Gideon, to help you with the Midianites. And Gideon would say, I did call you. Don't you remember? Verse 24 of the last chapter, I called you. <laughs> and they said, Yeah, you called us. But you didn't call us when we thought you should call us. See, here's the thing. Gideon didn't call them first. The Bible, if you read there in chapter 7, he called other tribes first before he called the Ephraimites. Now, he called other tribes first because they were closer to him. If you're in a fight and you're in a battle and you need somebody to help you, who are you going to call first? The people that are closer to you. But they're upset and they're saying, Gideon, you didn't call us when we think you should have called us. You should have called us first. And they're upset. You say, well, oh, is it really something they should be upset? You just got to understand this. You start having success in life. You start winning some battles. You start winning some many nights to, to, to fight. Someone's going to attempt to discourage you. Someone's going to attempt to chide with you. Someone's going to attempt to bring you down. And they were looking for a reason. Here's the thing. Gideon just won a great battle. They're jealous. They didn't win their great battle. So they're going to complain and say that thou callest us not when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites. So you know what they're saying. They say, you didn't call us when you went. You called us. Remember, Gideon fought the 300. And after he won the, the battle with the 300, then he called all the other people to come help him. They said, well, you should call us when you first went. Now, of course, Gideon's saying, it wasn't up to me to call. God. I had all these soldiers. God made me send them back. Why would I call you? He said, I called you when I needed you. But they're upset. Now, I want you to notice. They attempt to discourage... Now, look, you got you to listen very carefully. When you start having success in life, you start winning battles, someone's going to try to discourage you. Now, how you deal with that will depend on what are the successes you have in life. It's very interesting how Gideon deals with their discouragement. If you look at verse, the last part of verse 1, it says, They did chide, they, speak, they spoke disapprovingly with him sharply. But notice Gideon's response, verse 2. And he said unto them, What have I done now in comparison of you? Okay, now, here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen guys, what have I done compared to what you've done? Now notice what he says. Is not the gleanings of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? Now here's what Gideon is saying. Gideon is saying, look guys, what are you upset about? He said, look, what I've accomplished is nothing in comparison to what you've accomplished. Now you can understand this. There's two cities that are being spoken of here. Gideon fought his battle at, a, at Abiezer. The Ephraimites fought their battle, obviously in Ephraim. And he says, look at what he says in verse 2. Is not the gleanings, the gleanings is talking about the leftovers, when they would reap a harvest, and they would begin to gather the harvest, the things that left over, that's what was considered the gleaning. He said, it's not the gleanings, it's not the leftovers of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage, the vintage is the entire harvest of Abiezer. You know what he's doing? He's minimizing himself and maximizing that. He's saying, the little bit that you've done is greater than everything I've done. Now you've got to ask these questions. What happened at Ephraim and what happened at Abiezer? 
What did the Ephraimites accomplish at Ephraim and what did Gideon accomplish at Abiezer? Well, what Gideon accomplished at Abiezer is the whole story of chapter 7. 300 soldiers put to flight an innumerable amount of army. If you skip down to verse number 10 of Judges chapter 8, look at this. Now Ziba and Zalmana were in, Ke- in Karkor, and their host with them, about 15,000 men. Okay, so they had 15,000 men, all that were left of all the hosts of the children of the east. So all they had left at this point of the children of the east were 15,000 men. Now do you remember there was three different armies? One of the armies was the children of the east. Now look what it says. They had 15,000 soldiers left, for there fell an 120,000 men that drew swords. So just from the army of the children of the east, 120,000 men were put to death. Not counting the other two militaries. Do you understand this? 300 men won a battle at Abiezer over, well over, 120,000 men. That's what Gideon accomplished. What did the Ephraimites accomplish? Go to Judges chapter number 7. Look at verse number uh, 24. And Gideon sent messengers throughout all Mount Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites, and take before them the waters unto Beth Arba and Jordan. And then all the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and took the waters unto Beth Arba and Jordan. And they took... Now notice what this is. This is what they did in Ephraim. Because remember, he just called the Ephraimites. What did they accomplish? Look at verse 25. And they took two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. And they slew Oreb upon the rock of Oreb. And they slew... And, they, and Zeb they slew at the winepress of Zeb. Now that's not a weird coincidence. Obviously those places were named because those people were killed there. They slew these two kings and pursued Midian and besought the heads of Oreb and Zeb and Gideon on the other side of Jordan. I, I don't know if I'm doing a good job at explaining this, but here's what you got to understand. At Abiezer, 300 men put to flight militaries greater than 120,000 men. At Ephraim, an entire tribe put two men to death. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yet Gideon says, what you accomplished in getting two men is greater than what I accomplished with the entire military. Here's what Gideon's doing. He's esteeming others better than himself. Here's what Gideon's doing. He's minimizing himself. He's maximizing them. You say, what is Gideon doing? Here's what he's doing. A soft answer turneth the way around. Look at verse 3. God hath delivered into your hands the princes of, the, of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. Look what he's saying. Look at how humble he is. And what was I able to do in comparison of you? It's almost laughable. Gideon's saying like, guys, we could have done this without you. I mean, sure, we took care of over a hundred thousand men. But you got those two guys. Man, you are great. You say, how do you deal with someone who's trying to discourage you? You sit there and say, you worthless piece of junk. What are you doing? You guys kill two guys and, and look at all look at all that I did. Look at all I accomplished. And look what no, you don't see that attitude in Gideon. You see Gideon just humbly saying, Hey, listen, guys, I'm sorry you're upset. Hey, listen, guys, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. I didn't mean to call you first. They were just the other tribes were on my cell phone first. I just I didn't mean to. I didn't mean offense by it, guys. I'm thankful for what you did. Now notice the response. Look at last part, verse 3. Then their anger was abated toward him. When he has said that. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, a soft answer turneth away wrath. 
You say, God has given me success in life. My business is being successful. My Christian life is being successful. Maybe our church is being successful. You say, what do we do? Don't get, don't get puffed up. Don't get pride-filled. People start trying to discourage you, just be kind to them. You'd be surprised at things that people say to me. I mean, I, I, and I don't do the, as good a job as I should, but I have to be very careful, especially before Sunday, to guard my spirit, because it seems like the devil just gets into certain people, and they just want to try to sell you something to discourage you. you say, well, what do you do? You tell them they're wrong. You just sit there and smile. You say, well, thank you for everything you do. God bless you. I didn't mean to offend you, but I'm moving on. See, see what, you're, what you're getting here is a lesson on leadership. Getting in stand up for himself. Getting in argue and say, listen, you guys, you, you shouldn't treat me like this. He said, hey, listen, guys, you're great. Thank you for what you've accomplished. But notice, Gideon didn't let him stop him either. Because what did he do? Verse 4. And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over. He and the 300 men. Now notice, it's only 300 men still with Gideon. And they were with him, faint, yet pursuing. These guys come to him. They want to discourage him. They want to stop him. Gideon gives them a soft answer. Gideon gives them a soft response. Gideon says, hey, listen, guys, we couldn't have done it without you. I'm so glad you took care of those two princes. But listen, I'm going to go fight some Midianites. Don't let people's discouraging words stop you from doing what God has you to do. He says, hey, praise the Lord. Thank you for it. Let's go fight some Midianites. Now notice they were faint, yet pursuing. So we said, number one, what can you learn from this passage? People will attempt to discourage you. People will attempt to throw you off. People will attempt to criticize you. People will attempt to tell you things and try to get you in a bad mood. Don't let them. Do what God has called you to do. Now in verse 4 you see, And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over, he and the 300 men that were with him. Now notice, they were faint, they were tired, yet they were pursuing. Let me just give you a few verses in regards to that, and I don't really want to spend a lot of time on the subject of uh, faint, yet pursuing. And you know what, let's go ahead and skip those verses. But, you know, the Bible says this, Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season ye shall reap, if ye faint not. Sometimes when you're serving God, you get tired. You ever got tired? Sometimes you may get tired of serving God. (laughs) Don't let it stop you. They said, we are faint yet pursuing. But I want you to see number two. We said number one, the people will attempt to discourage you. Number two, I want you to see, people will attempt to diminish you. The word diminish means to minimize or belittle. Let me tell you something. You start doing something for God, people are going to belittle it. People are going to mock at it. People are going to say, oh, you tell somebody, you know, hey man, I, I, got, I got one person saved. And, and instead of saying, man, praise the Lord. They're going to say, what did they really say? Why aren't they in church? They're going to not only discourage you, but they're going to diminish you. Notice what happens to Gideon, verse 5. And he, Gideon, now remember, the people are faint yet pursuing, right? They're tired, they're fighting, but they're tired, they're hungry. And he said unto the men of Succoth, now these are people that should be helping him. Notice what he says. Give, I pray you, loaves of bread unto the people that follow me, for they be faint, and I am pursuing after Zeba and Zalmanna, king of Midian. So he says, hey listen, we are following, chasing these kings, and we're faint and we're tired, can you give us a few loaves of bread? Notice their response, verse 6. Are the princes of Sakkot, uh, I'm sorry, the princes of Sakkot said, are the hands of Zeba and Zalmanna now in thine hand that we should give bread unto thine army? Here's what they're saying. We don't really think you're going to win this battle, Gideon. Now, Gideon could have said, well, didn't you hear what happened at Abiezer? Didn't you see? Did, did you not hear about the 300 soldiers that we had? And we had that great battle. They said, we're not going to help you. You don't have those kings yet. 
We're not going to help you. We don't. Here's what they're doing again. They're diminishing His work. They're criticizing His work. They're belittling His work. Now Gideon could have got upset and said, you know what, forget this, I'm going home. But what did Gideon do? He just kept going. Look at verse 8, same chapter. And he went up thence to Penuel, now he's in a different place, and spake unto them likewise. And the men of Penuel answered him, as the men of Succoth had answered him, and he spake also unto the men of Penuel, saying, I'm sorry, that's not the verse I want to read. Yeah, uh, verse 8. And he went up thence to Penuel, and spake unto them likewise. So he asked them the same question, can you give us some bread? And the men of Penuel answered him, as the men of Succoth had answered him. So the men of Penuel said the same thing. They said, we don't think you're going to win this battle. You don't have the kings yet. We're not going to help you. Because you're not, here's what they're saying. We're not going to join your church, Gideon, until you get a building. Here's what they're saying. We're not going to really consider you an actual ministry until you, until you get a full-time pastor. You're starting in a house? What's that? You know, I, I debated in my mind whether I should use this as an example, but I think, I think I'm going to. And you know, our church started here in Natomas three years ago. Obviously, three years ago, last Sunday. And we started in a house. And a year and six months later... We grew to the place where we could get our first storefront building over there. And we were there for about a year. And then we moved over here. And God has been blessing us. And and we've been growing and getting people saved. But you know, when we started our church here, about a year and a half after we started our church, there was another group, uh, another independent, fundamental, soul-winning, supposedly, King James Bible Believing Baptist Church has started in the same area that we did. Now listen to me, I'm all for churches starting and I'm all for soul winning. But you know, after we've been on Northgate for about a year, that same church moved to Northgate. Did you know that there are two independent, fundamental, King James Bible Believing, soul winning churches on Northgate Boulevard? We're one of them and someone else. We've been here for a year and they moved in. Now that might not mean anything to you, and it shouldn't, and it doesn't mean anything to me either. But you know, I've been a fundamental Baptist my whole life. I know how to decode fundamentalism, you know what I mean? I, I know the, what the language is. And you know what the message is that's being sent from fundamentalism to our church? You know what it is? It's this. We don't acknowledge you as an actual church. We don't, you're not real. You're fake. In fact, you're, we, we so not acknowledge you, we're actually going to start another church on the same street just to prove that we don't acknowledge you. You know what they're doing? They're diminishing us. He says, should we get mad about it? No. You just need to realize that whenever you start having success, people are going to diminish you. Whenever yep. you start reaching a community, people are going to diminish you. Whenever yep. you start baptizing people and changing life, people are going to say, then there will be a little life. Get, well, Gideon can say, well, don't you see? We're the 300 men and we won and five. And they say, yeah, but you haven't even got the kings yet. When you start having success in life, people are going to discourage you. When you start winning victories, people are going to diminish you. They're going to belittle you. Now, notice Gideon's response. I like Gideon's response. He's like, well, what should we do? Should we go over there and egg those people? No. Well, maybe. No, look at verse 7. And Gideon said, therefore, look what he says. When the Lord hath delivered Ziba and Zalmanah into mine hand. Notice what he says. You know what Gideon does? When somebody belittled the work that Gideon did, instead of getting mad, he said, I'm going home. You know what he did? He allowed it to just encourage him to do more. They said, 
you don't have the kings yet. You haven't killed those kings. And he says, uh, and he says, and uh, verse seven. And Gideon said, therefore, when he's not saying if he says when the Lord had delivered Ziba and Samana into mine hand, then I will tear down your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness in the, with the briars. You know what he said? He allowed it to motivate him. Let me tell you something. You start having some victories in your life. Some neighbor, some friend, some family member. Somebody's going to look at you and say, ah, that's just a fad. That's not real. You'll grow out of it. You're not really, you're not really getting anybody saved. You're not really doing anything. Let me tell you something. Don't let it discourage it. Just let it motivate you. Amen. Somebody says to our church, we don't consider you a real church. You know what it makes me want to do? Get more people saved. You know what it makes me want to do? Baptize more people. You know what it makes me want to do? Grow bigger. Do more. Accomplish more. Why? For them? No. For God. Because when you start having victories in life, people will diminish you. People will discourage you. When you start having success in life, you know what else they'll do? People will attempt to destroy you. Look at verse 10. Now Ziba and Salmana were in Karkor and their host with them about their host with about 15,000 men, all that were left of all the hosts of the children of the east. For there fell an hundred and twenty thousand men that drew sword. And Gideon went up by the way of them that dwelt in the tents of the east of Nobah, and Jagbeha, and smote the host, for the host was secure. And when Ziba and Zalmana fled, he pursued after them, and took the two kings of Midian, and Ziba and Zalmana, and discomfited them, all the hosts. And Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from the battle before the sun was up, and caught the young man of the men of Succoth, and inquired of him, and he described unto him the princes of Succoth, and the elders that, uh, thereof, even threescore and seventeen men. And he came unto the men of Succoth, and said, Behold, Ziba and Zalmana, with whom he did upbraid me. I like that. They said, You can't do it. When he did it, he went back and said, Hey, look, I did what you said I couldn't do. Somebody tells you you can't start a church, don't get mad, but you, you start that church, you make sure you, you start that church. You make sure you get that ministry going. You make sure you do those things that God has called you to do. He, say, he said, you did upbraid me, middle of verse 15, saying, are the hands of Ziba and Zalmanah now in thine hand, that we should give bread unto thy men that are weary? And he took the elders of the city and thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them he taught the men of Succoth. And he beat down the tower of Penuel and slew the men of the city. Now notice this, verse 18. Then said he unto Ziba and Salmana, these are the enemy. He said, what manner of men were they whom ye slew at Tabor? Now you got to understand this, okay? Gideon just destroyed these people's income. He freed the slaves that they were making money off of. He destroyed most of their military don't you think these people wanted Gideon dead? Now they weren't able to get to Gideon. God had his hand on Gideon. But notice what they did. Verse 18. And they said unto, and they, and then said he, Gideon, unto Ziba and Zalmana, What manner of men were they whom you slew at Tabor? So he's saying, you, I heard you guys killed some people at Tabor. What they look like. Notice their response. And they answered, As thou art, so were they. Each one resembled the children of a king. And he said, notice what Gideon said, they were my brethren, even the sons of my mother. As the Lord liveth, if ye had saved them alive, I would not slay you. You've got to understand this. People are going to try to discourage you. People are going to try to diminish you. And then people are going to try to destroy you. They're going to attack you. And when they can't attack you, you know who they'll attack? Your family. 
You know what I surprised, and it shouldn't have, but you know what I surprised me in ministry? Is that I get up here and preach the Bible, and sometimes I preach things that people don't like. And they get mad at God, and they get mad at the Word of God, and they get mad at me. But you know who they criticize? My kids. Isn't that crazy? You know who they criticize? My wife. You know what they criticize? You know, when people get mad, you know what they criticize? You say, well, I can't hurt him, because, you know, I don't care. <laughs> but who are they going to try to hurt? Family. I mean, literally, people have came to this church and criticized, you know, my kids were, you know, you hear them talk, and my kids were like, running gangs and smuggling in drugs from Colombia and you know I'm thinking of one person in particular was just having a heyday bad mouthing my kids at the time they had an adult child that they couldn't get them to call them back <laughs> their adult child hated them so much but yeah my kids were so horrible and the truth is they were just mad at the fact that maybe something was preached that they didn't like you gotta understand this people are gonna hurt you you guys in ministry you young guys are gonna start churches just understand this you start having some success you start preaching the bible you start getting people saved they might not attack you but they'll attack your wife they might not attack you but they'll attack your kid just be ready for it it comes with the territory they'll attempt to discourage you they'll attempt to destroy you number four and this is the last one People, and this is probably the most dangerous one. We said, number one, people will attempt to discourage you. We said, number two, people will attempt to diminish you. We said, number three, people will attempt to destroy you. But number four, when you start having success, people will begin to dote on you. Say, what does that mean? You can tell I'm really working hard at getting these D's in, you know what I mean? (laughs) Some of you never even notice I preach alliterated sermons. I'm not as uh, unlearned and ignorant as you thought. The word dough means to lavish or excess, to, to, to be excessive in one's attention or affection or fondness. It means to overly love someone. It means to love them to the point where you love them more than things you should love. And notice what happens to Gideon. Look at verse 22. Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, notice what they said. Rule thou over us. Now you got to understand this. Remember in the book of Judges, what's the authority structure? Judges. What was Gideon? A judge. Gideon was already ruling over them in the sense that he was the leader. God chose him. But now they're asking for him to rule them more than the God-given position of a judge. And they said, verse 22, Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy sons, and thy sons' sons also. Now this is how you know the ruling that they were asking for was the wrong type of ruling. Because God did not choose a judge and then automatically make the, the son of the judge a judge also. Do you follow what I'm saying? Different men, based on their walk with God, based on the Spirit of the Lord upon them, God chose them to be a judge. Do you understand what I'm saying? They are asking for a monarchy. They are asking for a king. They're saying, Gideon, we love you so much because of what you've done. We want you to rule over us. And Gideon says, I'm already ruling over you. And they said, and we want your son to rule over us. And he says, wait a minute. You want to make me your king? And we want your son's son to rule over me. And Gideon says, how do you know my son's going to be God? How do you know my grandkids are going to be God? Now look, look what it says, verse 22. Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son, and thy sons also. For thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. We love you, Gideon. Verse 23. 
And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you. Neither shall my son rule over you. I love this. The Lord shall rule over you. Amen. you got to understand this. And please understand what I'm saying. And let's look at a few passages. So you, you're gonna, We saw this last week. But go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. you got to understand this. God gives you spiritual rulers or spiritual authority in your life. But you've got to understand something. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. Look at verse number 1. We saw this last week, but I want you to see it again. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, verse number 1. The Bible says, Be ye follower of me. Paul said, Be ye followers of me. Now here's the condition. Even as I also am of Christ. Paul says, You should follow me as long as I'm following Christ. If I'm not following Christ, then don't follow me. Go to Romans chapter number 11. Look at verse number 13. Romans chapter number 11, verse number 13. I want, to, I want you to see something. Romans chapter number 11, verse number 13. The Bible says in Romans chapter number 11, and verse number 13, For I speak to the Gentiles, and as much as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, now notice what Paul said. Paul said, I magnify mine, what? Office. Do you see that? Paul said, I don't magnify myself. Paul said, I don't magnify my personality. Paul said, God has put me in a position of authority. And he said, what I magnify is the office that God has given me. He said, I magnify my, my office. Now, you understand this, okay? You ought to respect the offices of leadership. God gave you a pastor. You ought to respect your pastor. You ought to love your pastor. You ought to be kind to your pastor. You ought to love your pastor's wife and, and, and your pastor's family. Now, you say, well, well why should we do that, pastor? Because you think you're hot stuff or you think you're greater. You know look, look, magnify my office. But you got to understand this. I've been in church my whole life and I've seen this so many times. Well, people will get to the place where they love their leader so much, they begin to love the leader more than they love the God that that leader is supposed to be serving. There are churches where the pastor is in blatant sin, yet the people love their pastor so much, they don't want to get rid of him. That's wrong. We get these cults of personality. We get these ideas where we're, we're following men and it's all about men. You get around certain Baptists and, and the way they fellowship with, what do you think of so-and-so? What do you think of Dr. So-and-so? It doesn't matter what you think of Dr. So-and-so. What do you think about Jesus Christ? And I'm not saying, well, you say, well, should we be disrespectful? Don't be disrespectful to the pastor. Love your pastor. Love the, your authority. But let me tell you something. Don't begin to love a man more than you love God. Follow a man as long as he follows Christ. They're not wrong with calling Gideon as long. Remember, it's the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. You ought to follow a man who's following God. And by the way, you say, you say, I don't think that's true. Or really, then why do pastors quit the ministry because of sin and have the church leaves the leaves the the church and goes off into the world? Why does that happen? I'll tell you exactly why it happens. Because those people are following a man. Why does a pastor? Go on vacation on a Wednesday night, maybe go off to another church, and half the church doesn't come to church on Wednesday night. I've seen it my whole life. Why do the pastors say, I'm not going to be in town this week, I'm not going to be out there soul winning, and half the church doesn't show up, or half the people normally show up for soul winning, don't show up. Why does that happen? I'll tell you exactly what happens. They're following a man. Now, I'm not again, yeah, I understand things happening, things, things, but you got to understand this. Do not follow a man, because a man will lead you down the wrong road eventually. And a man will. Leave it out. Look, I will forget one day to call you on your birthday or call you 
on your anniversary. Or, or, or I might not see you. I might shake your, not shake your hand. I might have a bad attitude and not talk to you. I, don't, I might do something wrong to you, but I'm just a human being. You've got to be following God. Amen. These men went to Gideon. They said, Gideon, we want to follow you more than we want to follow God. And Gideon says, no, no, I will not rule over you. He says, the Lord will rule over you. You've got to understand this. You start winning some victories, people will attempt to discourage you. People will attempt to diminish you. People will attempt to destroy you. And some people will attempt to dote on you. Don't let it go to your head. Realize we are all sinners saved by grace. God allows us to be used. It is a privilege to be used of God. Even, even in the independent Fundamental Baptist movie, you can see how it, it's almost a worship of certain men. It ought not be so. I'm glad for the victories we win. I hope you love your pastor. I hope you love your pastor's wife. But I hope you love Jesus Christ. You know, I'll tell you this right now. Pastor Jimenez begins to take this church down the wrong road. I bring in a rock group, and I bring in the NIV, and I start doing things. Look, get rid of Pastor Jimenez and find a man that's going to follow God. Now, you ought to have some loyalty to the pastor in the sense somebody's bad-mouthing the pastor or the pastor's wife. Maybe you ought to stand up for them. That'd be nice. Amen. It's good. But don't have so much authority for one person that you will allow them to lead you down the wrong road. It's about Jesus Christ. Pastor Jimenez gets out of the ministry. I hope Verity Baptist Church continues. Pastor Jimenez just goes somewhere else and I'm not planning on going anywhere. Don't get excited. I plan to die here. But God forbid something happened to me, I die tomorrow. You follow Christ. You find a man that follows Christ. Don't follow a man. Follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for our church. And Lord, just some very quick lessons that we can see from the life of Gideon. You would think you had a little bit of success there. You think things would fall into place, but almost when you start having success, it seems like things get more complicated. Almost, you start having a little bit of success, you, you get one group that's discouraging you, one group that's diminishing you, one group that's trying to kill you, you get another group that loves you so much, they love you more than God. Lord, I pray you'd help us. Lord, we want to see success in our church. We want to see growth in our ministry. We want to see more people saved, more people baptized, more lives changed. But at the same time, help us to realize, when we have those chapter 7 successes, we may have to deal with some issues in chapter 8. Lord, I pray you'd help us. I pray you'd bless us. I pray you'd help our church to continue to grow and, and, and win in that spiritual battle we were talking about this morning. Father, we love you. In precious name I pray. Amen.